The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Next to Normal, Part 2. Written by Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, Veronica Jaguer, and Mercedes Lackey. Bella always felt less alone when Mel was at the desk tucked into one corner of the far too spacious Echo CEO office. Ever since shortly after Ramona Ferrari's death, Mel had been occupying that seat and the job of Bella's assistant. The conversation that led to the position had been interesting to say the least. Well, you're cleared for work, according to Dr. Melbourne, Panacea, and Gilead. Bella said, looking across her desk at Mel. Work, Mel repeated with a sigh. I don't know what more there is to work with, after all that you did before. Let's leave aside the little problem that you don't have your illusion powers for now, Bella said. I'm not convinced they won't come back. They did for Fata Morgana. It took years, but they did. I'm more than willing to keep you in Echo till they do. Mel gave Bella a watery smile. You sure? I mean, I've got plenty of training beyond those powers, but I don't know if I can trust myself out there. If you think there's something worth saving, well... She trailed off and shook her head. No wonder you two are fit for each other. I'll owe you both for my second chances. Depends on what you mean by out there. There's plenty that support ops do. Some more cross-training and you could jump in as a detective. Trust me, it is a lot harder to cross-train someone who's had investigative training to learn the paramilitary and shooty side than it is the other way around. Or there's juggling paperwork if you think you could stand that. Bella queued up the openings in Echo Support Ops, got only half the ones she knew were there, and sighed heavily. God damn it. I miss Ramona. I feel like I'm operating with half a brain and only one hand. Bella, if having me file and sort and shuffle will bring you any bit of relief, then I'll do it. What part of I owe you three times over don't you get? Want me to say it en français to make it easier to understand? The blonde gave her a lopsided smile, the one side of her head still buzzed shorter than the other after the attack at the Marta station. I ain't got a problem doing paperwork, and one of the secrets of running a bar off Bourbon Street is being able to make a cup of coffee that'll stand up and salute on its own. You want a secretary? You got one. I'm happy that you're still willing to keep me. Bella stared at her for a long moment. Sweetie, she said slowly. I don't need a secretary. Secretaries are easy to get. I have three. What I need is an assistant, and I'll be damned if I don't think you've got the chops for it. She began ticking things off on her fingers. I need someone who can be the other set of eyes at my back when Bull can't, and can shoot to kill, and will. I need someone who can talk to people and get them to open up where they won't open up to me. I need someone better with the computers than I am when Vix can't do that, and you can learn that from Vix. I need someone who won't think because I ask them to run an errand that I'm exploiting them or something, 
Because if I do that, the errand isn't just an errand. It'll be something I need someone I can trust to do. Oh, there's a million little things that come up all the time, and I can only handle half a million. I need someone I can trust to handle the other half. She let out her breath in a long exhalation. It's going to involve a lot of learning shit. And tedium. And often as not being charming to snakes and bastards. But if you're willing... If you'll let me give it a go, I'll do my best. Learning doesn't scare me as long as you don't mind questions now and then. The rest of it sounds just fine. Heck, a bit of learning and some familiar tasks might be what it takes to reset what got broken. Mel offered Bella a reassuring smile, her voice gentled and honeyed. Just tell me where to begin, and we'll get a start on making this place a little more manageable. Bella grinned with happiness and relief. A few clicks of the mouse and some typing, and the deed was done. Congratulations, Mel. You are now my assistant. Skirt's optional. Oh, and the first secret you get entrusted with is this. Ramona isn't dead. Pull the chair closer, and I'll tell you the whole story. Oh, crap, said Bella, her voice betraying dismay. Mel swiveled in her chair, one hand on the most recent set of file folders procured from the Echo Vaults. The pair had worked together long enough that Mel reacted to the smallest changes in Bella's voice. Each, oh crap, or freaking hell, could mean a dozen different things, but she had begun to predict them with surprising accuracy. What's missing? she asked calmly. What do you want me to get? I intended to get Vic's lunch. I promised I would about an hour ago because if she doesn't get someone to bring her something, she just microwaves something full of additives and crap calories or drinks a meal in a can. I wanted to bring her up to speed on the vault stuff Bird left there while we ate. But I have a meeting with Bull about scope in five minutes and... She threw her hands up in the air. That's his only window and it'll probably take two hours. So let it take two hours. I can come back to the files here if you think Vix would be all right with me bringing her some lunch. Herb's a cutie with his little cups at the bar, but he probably won't handle more than that. Bella pursed her lips. Well, it's more like Vix can't apport more than that without using up all the calories in the meal. Not quite as taxing and a little more complicated, but that's the too-long-didn't-read version. Oh, I guess I get a magic lesson today, Mel grinned. But really, I'm here for the errands. Tell me what you want, what she wants, and what Bull wants. I'll call on the order, pick it up, and deliver all around. That way, everybody gets a real lunch. Does she like that bento place as much as you do? Sec, Bella said. Overwatch, ping Vix. There was a pause. Yeah, rerun the last three minutes of office chat. Another pause. Great, it's a deal. She turned her attention back to Mel. Bento boxes all around. Salmon for me, chicken for bull. Salmon and tuna for Vix. Whatever you want, charge it on the Echo account. And Vix's password will be Klatu Barada Nikto. You say that in response to one small step for man. Oh, 
and make sure you have your Mark I headset on. Two of my C, one of my land, Echo Plastic, and it's North in response to Armstrong. Mel popped open the desk door to retrieve her headset. Anything else, boss? Well, you're going to be next door to the Chinese joint. If they don't have a line, could you pop in and get a double order of veggie egg foo young for her too? She didn't ask for it, but if it's in the fridge, she'll eat it instead of freezer-burned minute meals. Bella beamed at her. This was as good as having Ramona back. Can do. You want me to pick up their hot and sour for us? You said the next stack of folders was going to take us past dinner, and you've got to eat as much as the next person. Mel stood and winked at her. Never mind. I'll grab it just in case. It can reheat for tomorrow's lunch, right? Mel, you're a lifesaver. Make it so. Bella glanced at the time on her computer. Got a dash. It'll take me every bit of what I've got left to get to Bull's office. You know how he is about being on time. Mel Mock groaned. Oh, do I ever. Go, Cher. I'll meet you there. Vicky studied the camera image for a good long time. Then she clicked over to the Overwatch scan, just to be sure. Only then did she finger the intercom button. So you look kind of burdened down there, Mel. Kind of a heavy load for just a couple of bento boxes. More than one small step for man. Oh, Confucius say, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. But Bella said that I needed to bring over some of the veggie egg foo yang so you wouldn't be scrounging from your freezer between now and tomorrow. Mel cracked a smile for the camera. We're gonna have hot and sour tonight for dinner. It'll be a soup party. First time I've heard of a soup is a party, Vicky replied as she threw the locks and let Mel in. Then she took a long, deep, appreciative breath. Damn, I love egg foo. It beats the hell out of Salisbury steak. Anything beats Salisbury steak. Mel stepped into the apartment and set the parcels on the nearest flat surface, which happened to be a table in the tiny foyer. You sure that's enough? You want anything else? I only think about food when it's in front of me, Vicky confessed, locking the door again. The fridge is in and to the left in the kitchen. I'll set the bentos up in the living room and you can brief me. I'm dying to know what else Verd left in the vault. She picked up the white bag from the Japanese bento box place and darted ahead of Mel, leaving Mel to get the heavier brown bag from the Chinese joint. As she set up the living room table with chopsticks, drinks, and the bento boxes, she watched Mel stow the white styrofoam containers of Chinese takeout in the fridge. You want chair or couch? She called over the counter that separated the kitchen from the living room. Doesn't matter. I'm good with a chair if you want something comfy, Mel answered. The fridge door shut, the containers safely stored front and center so that Vicky would see them the next time she opened the door. Roger, you get the chair. I'm a sprawler. Tea okay? Vicky was trying not to show it by being the hostess, but having a new person in her space always made her nervous. So far, in the last year, she had had more new people in her space than in the previous eight. Belle, Ramona, Bull, the Genie, Scope, Acrobat, J.M., Sarah, Mel. Of course, the last time Mel had been here, it had been with the others, planning the vault raid. 
This was the first time she was here alone. That made it harder, somehow. Tea's fine. You want to eat first, then talk shop, or would you rather multitask? Vicky snorted a little. No, it's me. Multitask is my middle name. So skipping lunch, according to Bella, but I figured it was your place and your rules. Mel rested her hand on her chopsticks, but didn't pick them up. The way she talks, you'd think she was your nana or something. Vicky wondered how guilty she looked, and tried to cover it by picking up her box and chopsticks and fiddling with them. She's a healer. She thinks I don't eat right, and she's probably right. But hell, even if I can force myself out to the store, when would I get the time? Overwatch is two full-time jobs, and then some. Mel picked up her own box and chopsticks. Well, she's a healer, sure, but she's more than that. That caring about what you eat beyond lunchtime is being a friend, you know? She pushed some spicy chunks of tofu around before picking up a square. She's trying to cut out the time part of that equation by having it here. You're important to her, Vicky. Vicky flushed. That's new for me, she replied. Belle's the first friend I had here. She's the one that got me out of the apartment. Hell, I think I probably put Overwatch together for her, not Tesla. You probably did. Helps her out a lot. Helps everyone come to think of it, Mel commented around a mouthful. If Belle is the glue of the organization, then you've got to be the nuts and bolts. More bolts, because the rest of us are nuts. Vicky sighed, but it was not a sigh of discontent or weariness. It's the best thing I've ever done. It may very well be right up there in the top 20 of all major magical works put together by one person. I'm damn proud of it, Mel. And Mark I can run without me, which is even better. It'll outlive me. Most magicians can't say that. She chuckled. Even Red Savior approves of it. And getting her to approve of anything having to do with magic is harder than getting her to approve of anything created by a capitalist. Will she have a bad experience with it? Or do you think she's just naturally suspicious? People who are violently opposed to something usually have a bones-deep reason for it. The one-word answer is Rasputin, or so I have deduced. The longer response is that Rasputin evidently was up to a lot more government meddling than the history books give him credit for, and yes, he was a magician. Vicky ate quickly and neatly, handling the chopsticks like a native. How much bad he did, I don't know, and honestly, it is largely because I haven't bothered to research it. He's dead and gone, and I have more crap on my plate in the here and now than I can handle as it is. Savior evidently has enough dirt on him to want to kill magicians on sight, and that's more than enough information for me. She paused for some tea. If I live through all of this and actually have some leisure time, I intend to look into it, because I'm curious, but... Now is not the time. I can research it, or I can build in more bells and whistles to overwatch Mark II while I do monitor duty. I know where my time is going to go. And there's always the parkour course, Mel said, with one side of her mouth quirking up. Vicky groaned theatrically, although 
now that there was less pain and less falling involved, she was getting to appreciate runs on the parkour course. Not like, but appreciate. There's always the parkour course. Mel laughed at the sentiment. <laughs> Five, six days a week. I thought about going out there in the evening when it got cooler since it's not my night for the late shift at the bar. Nobody's out there once first shift's done on Echo Campus, so there's less people to fight for a good corner. She stirred what was left of her noodles. I'd like to be out there more often. Seems like you get in a fair amount of practice. I spend most of my time in a chair, Vicky pointed out. I need all the exercise I can get. Though the genie seems to think I need more field work. She shook her head. Let's just say, when I've tried, things tend to go 57 different kinds of bad. Really? She shrugged. I may be a bad luck magnet outside my four walls. She didn't see any need to elaborate. Mel had more than enough access to look at the AA records if she wanted to. But she figured she would prompt. It's all in the after-action reports. Unlike some people, I'm always on top of my paperwork. That earned her a broad smile. <laughs> I know. About being on top of the paperwork, I mean. If everybody managed to be as thorough as you. Mel set aside the remains of her lunch and leaned back. Like I said before, Bella loves you and not just for the paperwork. That's a bonus. Vicky flushed a little. Well, she loves me for Overwatch. We'd never have put Verdigree down without it. Hell, we couldn't have taken the New Mexico Thulean hideout without it. That was you first, and Overwatch second. Bet that everyone else on that mission would have said the same thing. Mel leaned forward, her elbows on her knees. Is it really so bad to think that Belle is valuing you for you, not just for the whiz-bang stuff that you're able to do? Vicky shrugged again. Not used to having friends again, she said, and left it at that. Fair enough. Mel didn't appear the least bit offended by the admission, nor did she try to press the conversation. She picked up the empty boxes and stacked them. If you want another one, or at least someone's asked to kick up and down the parkour course, I'm here. And if not, I'll be your own Cajun delivery service. Vicky conjured up a half-smile. I'll take you up on the parkour and the delivery, as long as it's not eating into your own time too much. Bella hates Nolan's food, so maybe you know. Any decent Cajun places that do carry out around the campus? Oh, how can something so dirt cheap and simple be so good? Vicky asked, halfway into her red beans and rice. Mm, soul food is what people with no money learn to make taste good share, Mel replied between spoonfuls of gumbo. Vicky was about to say something when Overwatch gave her the ping that was associated with the genie opening his freak to her. She held up a hand to Mel to let her know she needed to concentrate. Overwatch, go for genie, she said before he could hail her. You psychic these days, Vix? Nope, just made another improvement. Special people get a sign-on tone. And you're special, she quipped. That's what my teachers used to say, he replied. 
I got a situation here. Black Snake poking around where they had no business to be managed to find a pop-up site before it popped up. My inclination is to let them whittle each other down before we call in the troops to mop up the survivors. Are you in a compromised position? She asked, quickly, grabbing a wireless keyboard off the coffee table and bringing up her enhanced HUD. Overwatch command, maestro. That cued the motion sensors in the four corners of the room to follow her hand motions on her virtual monitors that were now seemingly floating in midair. Uh, yeah, about that. I'm kind of pinned down. How badly have you got any room to move, and do you need a hole? She felt her heart racing with anxiety, the way it always did when he was in trouble. His life sign monitor showed a lot of stress, and from the sounds his mics were picking up, the fighting was pretty close to him. Any closer and they'd fall over me. Enough. And yes. She reached for the piece of his claw she'd strung on a thong around her neck, closed her eyes, and took a deep breath, bringing up the fractals that allowed her to manipulate and sense the earth and what was on it. Then she let go of the claw. Connection established. A hole coming in three, two, one. She clenched her hands around the edges of something that didn't exist and pulled them apart. She heard him grunt as the earth fell away beneath him and he dropped into the hole she had just made. Six feet deep enough? Uh, make it ten? She was sweating with the effort, but this was the genie. Roger, she replied, and gave him another four feet. You want me to call the cavalry, or do you want to? I'll do it. I'll just wait until the ruckus dies down, poke my head up like a gopher, and see what's left. You didn't bring one of the eyes, did you? She asked, not hiding her annoyance. It makes an ugly bulge in my svelte outline. Moron. At least if they shoot you in the head, it won't hit anything vital. Hardy har. She brought up his eye cam. As she expected, it showed the rough sides of the hole she had made for him. Lucky this time. He'd been in a destruction corridor, and she hadn't had to try and get through concrete. Just plain old red Georgia clay. Which was going to hold together well enough she didn't need to reinforce the walls to keep them from caving in on him. She typed rapidly on her keyboard, instructing the cult brother on duty to get ready to deploy a pop-up team on Jeannie's signal, or hers. With a gesture, she shoved a couple of the virtual monitors aside to get a look at Mel. She looked... tense. Don't die, she said shortly. Ah, ma. The smartass retort relieved her a little. She had a good sense now of how he'd respond if he actually was in trouble. He had been when he'd called, for instance. She licked her lips, and then only realized they and her mouth had gone dry. She reached blindly for her coffee and swigged it down. The combatants were moving too quickly and were clumped too closely together, and probably were on too much asphalt and cement for her to get a good handle on how many there were. But the sounds of gunfire and energy weapons began to thin out. A sudden ramping up of the beam generators and a lost burst, and then there was silence. Poking my nose up, Overwatch. There was absolutely no point in telling him not to do, so she just rode that eye cam like a cowboy on a bronco and scanned what part of the area he could see before he had even begun to take it all in. Nothing. 
poking an arm up. He was going to use his skin sense, amped up. She held her breath. As long as there was only powered armor there, and as long as they were still cooling down from the battle, he'd be able to tell how many of them there were. Four suits, which is more than I can handle. Send in the mop-up crew, Vix. Roger that, she replied, and then monitored the situation until the Echo Squad, equipped with those RPGs, of course, arrived, and then had another bad moment or three when the genie popped out of his hiding place to join them. Finally, it was over. The damn crazy fool had lived to tell another tall tale and was on his way back with the Echo Squad. She shut all the extraneous overwatch stuff down and collapsed backwards on the couch, her eyes leaking tears of grateful relief. He's okay. He's okay. He wasn't even nicked this time. She'd forgotten she wasn't alone until Mel poked her with the plate of reheated food. Uh, thanks, Mel, she stammered, taking it with one hand and wiping her eyes with the other. Then, can't live with him, can't sell him for parts. She managed a laugh that sounded mostly genuine and dug back into her food, pretty certain she hadn't let anything slip. Don't let her guess. Don't let her guess. She's never seen me at work before. She can't know I don't react to everyone the way I just did to Red being in trouble. If I could, I reckon I'd know which part I'd sell first, Mel agreed. Good. Dodge that bullet. She managed to get the food past the lump in her throat, helped by the fact that after all that magic and mayhem, she was ravenous. You gonna eat all that? she asked, pointing with her spoon at the big box of fried calamari. They were coming, and she was strapped to the table. Every time, the door would open and the men would file in, two by two, their faces hidden behind masks. They would move to surround her, and then they would begin. And she would scream. Mel! It would never sate them. They kept digging, and she kept screaming. Mel! And screaming. What is wrong with you, girl? Stop it! His hands were on her, strong hands, grasping her by the arms. She expected him to shake her, perhaps hit her, until he got what he wanted. But she couldn't give him that. She was a soldier, and she had been trained to resist interrogation. Still, nothing had prepared her for this. It wasn't information they wanted, not something she could just tell them. No, they were after something else, and she had no idea what it was. So they kept at her. As far as torture went, they went to some exotic extremes. Sometimes she felt as if she were paralyzed and slowly suffocating, and the suffering was less pain than helpless anguish. She couldn't move a muscle, she couldn't make a sound, her silent shrieks deafening only to herself. Other times it was nothing but pain in every fiber of her being. They would turn it on, effortlessly it seemed, and this time she was free to writhe and wail for all the good it did her. They were relentless. At first she thought them merely cruel. Now it was clear they were far beyond that. They didn't see her as a person, only a subject, an artifact to calmly dissect, to take apart and examine. None of them held any enjoyment in debasing her. Except for one. His hands were strong. They touched her knowingly. 
on rare occasions they were alone, and when they were, it was somehow worse. She felt his hands on her again, and she cringed, and shuddered as her scream died away in her throat. Something was different. His hands were firm, but gentle. Mel, he said again, but softly now. Wherever you are, come back. Come back. Her eyes opened to a dark room, the fog lifting from her mind. She was in bed. Her bed. She was sitting up, her shoulders and head hunched forward, her hair matted softly to her face. He knelt before her, his hands still on her arms, and as she looked up at him her expression became one of bewilderment. It made him laugh. New face, the genie said. The most challenging one to date. God, I almost prefer the nightmare, she muttered, shuddering again. When would you ever be called upon to impersonate Alfred E. Newman? He repositioned himself beside her and laid a tentative hand on her shoulder. Nightmare, he nodded. Yeah, I figured. She glanced at him quickly, grimaced, and let her gaze fall back to her hands. They were shaking. Was I screaming? For about a minute, he said. You bolted up from a dead sleep like a banshee, wringing your hands, hollering. Thought we were under attack at first, but nothing. You just kept going. Didn't even seem to know I was here until I touched you. She took that in and finally nodded. I say anything? Nothing I could make out. But yeah, it was bad. You get these nightmares a lot? Not for a long time, she exhaled. Guess something woke it up in me. Need to talk about it? Do you? She snapped. I don't see you volunteering intel on your nightmares. What makes you think I have any? Well, save it, Red, she growled. You have nightmares all the time. Moaning, crying, fingers twitching. The difference is... I don't wake up screaming from mine, he said. She clenched up and withdrew from him. Finally, she reached for her robe and climbed out of bed. Yeah, I guess you don't, she muttered. She moved to the vanity, fumbled in the dark, and managed to pour herself a stiff drink. Want one? Sure, he said, and in moments she was back in bed, handing him a tumbler of scotch. He raised it obligingly, they clinked glasses, and shot back their drinks in unison. Need to talk about it? he asked again. No, she said cringing inwardly at how quickly she responded, the sudden shrillness of her voice that betrayed an anxiety she had long thought forgotten. For the first time, she felt somewhat vulnerable around this man. That wasn't what she wanted. Of all the things the genie could be for her, Confidant didn't top that list. Maybe it'd be more accurate to say that I might need to, in that psychobabbly sense, but I don't really want to. She studied the bottom of her tumbler. No offense. 
takes more than a little honesty to offend me, darling, he said. As for what you need, you can't expect me to know if you don't give a little. He turned to her, his eyes boring into hers. So give a little. She frowned and looked away. Yeah, right. What business was it of his? For the past few weeks there had been more banter and a few stolen moments away from their daily routines. And each night they fell into bed and forgot about the rest of the world, for at least a little while. But he was not her boyfriend. That wasn't part of the deal. You want psychobabble, he continued. I can tell you what anyone with a psych degree would say about my nightmares. Survivor's guilt. Your dreams seem pretty agitated for that, she said. Well, it didn't help that she got atomized right in front of me, he sighed. Anyway, they'd be wrong. Survivor's guilt is about living when someone else didn't. This goes a bit beyond that. She didn't just die. She died because she pushed me out of the way. So, regular guilt, to the nth degree. Was she someone close? She was the one. The... Mel sucked air through her teeth, realization hitting her hard. You realize what you're telling me, don't you? You read my file, didn't you? Jeannie scowled. Or you just pay attention to the locker room gossip that infects Echo like a virulent strain of swine flu. I'm a bartender, you idiot, she hissed. If they're talking, I hear it. Jeannie, Bull's been after any concrete proof of his wife's death since it happened. You were there, you watched it happen, and you've obviously said nothing about it. I know, I know. What must you think of me? I think... She paused as the enormity of his predicament became obvious to her. I think it must be crazy what's going through your head, then. Now. Because you think of this man as your friend, and you love the same woman. And that woman died to save you. And the way I've seen you look at Bella, and seeing her and Bull... Oh, shit, Jeannie, that's a messed up place you live in. Mikasa es su casa. He shrugged, took her tumbler, and got up to freshen their drinks. He turned and gave her another penetrating look. You gonna turn me in? Can't, she said and looked away. Bartender's code. Long as you've got that glass in your hand, any and all secrets have to stay that way. The nightmares are pretty standard, he said, passing her tumbler back to her. You know, for what they are. Sometimes I freeze up completely. Other times, I manage to cry out. There are even a few where I'm fast enough to reach for her, maybe even enough to try to pull her down. I'm never fast enough. Each time she's gone, but not without flashing me that damn serene look of hers. That goddamn look. She'd save it for special occasions, when she wanted to let me know that everything would work out, that we would get through it, that she... 
He stopped to take another shot, but remained silent, his fingers drumming a soft beat on his glass. You've come this far, Mal prompted him. Might as well say it. That she still loved me, he muttered, and sank back into the bed. They sat in silence, until his tumbler slipped from his hand and fell to the floor. There followed a harsh rumble as it rolled away on the hardwood. I was tortured once, Mel said. God, I can't believe I'm telling you this. I was part of an infiltration operation, but we were pinched. They worked us all up, but they singled me out. The others, they used up, got what they wanted, and that was it for them. Me, I was different. I had something else they wanted. So they kept at me, and I fought, and I wouldn't give it up. This was dangerous ground. She knew she shouldn't be telling him any of this. It was something she had kept bottled up for so long, and yet she had so much more in common with Red Genie than she ever had with anyone else before him. But she had known that, perhaps from the first time she had laid eyes on him. There was something that connected them, and it went deeper than she could have guessed. Maybe that was why it had all come pouring out. It was liberating. She looked down to her hands and caught herself shaking again. With apprehension? No, not really. More with... You okay? Red asked, noticing. Of course he noticed. Noticing everything was par for the course for him. She laughed. No, it's fine. Just letting go of some tension. It was oddly exhilarating, and definitely a release. As controlled as she was, the release was going to have some physical side effects after all. I'm not used to... Talking? He said with a wry grin. It looked extremely odd on the hideous caricature he had adopted. I know, we usually skip the talking, don't we? Anything meaningful, anyway. That's how we roll, she sighed. She brought a hand to his face, her fingers delicately tracing the absurd lines and folds of his features. And not just with each other. I see your veil, Red Genie. And not just your mask or the faces you use. The way you hide, I guess I relate. Yeah he whispered. You get it, I can tell. Hiding's what we do, and we've gotten good at it. Really good. Maybe too good, she said. You hide from it for so long, it just becomes part of you. You don't expect to have to share it with anyone, but when you do, you hope they don't hate you for it. She watched as his face softened, his eyes once again boring into hers. This time she didn't look away, and realized with a start that his smile came as a mirror to her own. She felt a flush rise in her cheeks, her breath catch in her throat, and for a moment she was lost in him. There were many reasons this couldn't work, but they didn't seem very important to her anymore. And then he was kissing her. It was different, 
Before, it was all a haze of lust and need. Now it was simply... right. After, he did something he never had before. He held her to him, and she marveled over the casual rush of sensation of his breath flowing over her shoulder. Can I ask you something? he said. You can ask, she replied, burying her face deep into his neck. What were they after? Your captors, I mean. She pulled away from him, startled. In the faint light, she watched as his own expression shifted from surprise to comprehension, and finally to guilt. Sorry, he said. I didn't mean to. She stopped him with the gentle press of her fingers to his lips. Don't worry about it, she whispered. He grinned, a full-on Alfred E. Newman grin. What, me worry? He said, and held her again, and she smothered her laughter into his chest. It would have been a complicated bit of programming if more than half of it hadn't been spellcasting. If genies at Mel's place turn off Overwatch audiovisual, unless, and a complicated list of biometric conditions, because she didn't want to know, she truly didn't want to know. Well, she knew, but she didn't want the details. Didn't want the temptation of having a recording either, because even though you don't want to know, there is still that urge, like picking at a scab, to find out anyway. It had all worked pretty well. Until tonight, when Mel screamed in her sleep and not only triggered the Overwatch wake-up, it triggered an alert that woke her up and fed the rest right into her ear. Stuck in a state that was half-embarrassed shock and half-sleep fog, she stopped it right after, I don't wake up screaming from mine, and put Jeannie's system back to silent monitor. She sat in her bed with her face buried in her hands, weeping quietly. For what had been lost. For what would never be. Then, knowing sleep would not be coming again soon, she went to the bathroom, washed her face, and bundled up in a heavy robe. Overwatch always needed additions, tweaking. Intel needed sorting, looking over, analyzing. There was always work. Until the day she died, there would always be work. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And, as always, thank you for listening.